Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. Today, for for 45 more minutes, it is September 19th. It is a Thursday, and uh, I'm Brandon Thurston, and I'm joined by my friend again, Chris Gullo, to discuss the latest in uh, wrestling business news. And uh, we're joining you today because last night, NXT debuted on the USA Network. We're going to talk about a few other things, too, that have happened recently in, in the wrestling business. We're going to talk about maybe maybe we'll get to some research that I've been doing lately, delve into the Excel spreadsheets. But uh, Chris Gullo will give us give us the, the bullet points on NXT debuting on the USA Network last night. All right, first off, thanks for having me back on. It's not my third time on the show, so I'm, I'm really excited to be here. And uh, yes. I'll get right into it, guys. Uh, um, WWE NXT debuted on the USA Network uh, on Wednesday night at 8, 8 p.m. in the Eastern uh, time slot. And the first hour was watched by 1.179 uh, million viewers. It ranked number four on cable that night. And that's about half of uh, Raw's audience on Monday, though. Uh, NXT was viewed by 841,000 in a special one-time airing back in December 13, 2017. In a 7 p.m. time slot, but that also, if I remember, wasn't like a it wasn't a live show. It no, was that was like, a tape program. Hey, this is you know this was what NXT is all about. Yeah. Um, the second hour it did air on the WWE Network. Uh, it will also air there next week. Both hours will air live on USA Network starting October 2nd, and that of course is the night that AEW Dynamite, which we just found out, That's begins right. airing. That's what the guides say. That's what the TV guides say. Um. WWE did uh, provide a comment to David Bixenspan for a Deadspin article in August on the notion that NXT is a counter-program to WWE on Wednesday nights. And the quote was, it isn't called counter-programming if you continue to air a series on the same day time that has been nearly on for five years. Perhaps you'll ask AEW about counter-programming NXT. And then if AEW did decline to comment to Deadspin on that question. Uh, by the way... David Bisconspan, I really want to be in between the sheets, but that's a side note. Uh, also, Dave Meltzer uh, of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, he revised an earlier report saying that the value of the NXT TV deal, and we kind of talked about this yes. the last time I was on, uh, with USA is worth $60 million over two years. In other words, $30 million a year on an average of 600000 per week. Uh, and then uh, Triple H, uh, he actually... Uh, you wanted to address the uh, fans' concerns on a CBS Sports podcast uh, saying Vince McMahon wouldn't be more involved in NXT once it airs on the USA Network. Well, as far as the product changing, I always want the product to change and get better um, from my point of view. So will it Will it hopefully get better? Yes. Will that be, you know, uh, will, will Vince or anybody else's involvement um, change the core of what it is? No. They, they, they're, the, the intent is not for them to be involved. You know, the one thing that people don't give Vince credit for is none of this would happen without him. NXT doesn't exist. The, the, the concept of it, the brand of it, the idea of it, of being this alternative brand doesn't exist without him saying it exists. Right. Um, and, and, and that, um, you know, that, that is, is part of what makes it great is, is his ability to let us do that. And then his ability to step back and say, now this is what it is, but I'm not going to change that because it moves to a different platform. It's successful for a reason, and I want that reason to continue and grow. Um, truth is, everything in WWE has his fingerprint on it, 
even NXT because I've sat under his learning tree for 25 plus years. Um, and a lot of the things that I do were learned directly from him. So, um, you know, it, it definitely has his fingerprint. Everything in the company has his fingerprint, but we're not looking to change NXT. He's not looking to get involved in it. Trust me, he's got enough stuff going on. <laughs> um, NXT is going to be what it is and what it has been as, as an alternative and a much more, um, for our core base, for the people that are just super passionate, um, you know, really into what we do, um, as opposed to being just kind of a sort of a casual fan for the people that are really into it. This is, this is a brand for them. They're going to feel like this is home for them. And, um, if anything, we'll just make it more of that. Okay. So there's triple H with, uh, some comments, I think he's trying to, uh, to calm some fears that fans have that <gasps> Vince is going to get his hands on NXT. He's going to ruin NXT. But he's also the ultimate, the game, the game player, the politician, really putting over Vince McMahon to say... Fingerprints on everything. I've, I've sat under his learning tree. Everything in WWE has his fingerprints on it. So in other words, you can thank... It's really Vince McMahon who's, uh, who's really inspired and, and made NXT into what it is. Triple H is saying there, you know. I, I, I tend to believe that um, NXT will be a Triple H program. I know we, we talked about last time we recorded here that maybe there would be a, a situation where NXT would start to lose to AEW, and then, then maybe Vince gets his hands Impulsive, in Impulsive, yeah. Maybe. I mean, that's a possibility. Um, but I, I uh, and it, it's easy to be cynical, I think, and to say, well, you know, you, it's a, it's a wrestling war and AEW is going against WWE here. And of course, Vince is going to get his hands involved in it. But, uh, I mean, now we're sitting here. It's Thursday night. Uh, you and I have watched at least part of the NXT program that aired on the USA Network. And it looked like a Triple H program to me. And I think for the foreseeable future, uh, I think it's going to be a Triple H program. So. Yeah, it still, it still did everything NXT does. Uh, showcases a lot of, a lot of different talent. Uh, doesn't lose anybody in a shuffle. Intriguing storylines. It, it did all that. Um, my thing when I start to think about it too is maybe because it doesn't go on the road and it's going to be just at, at full sale. And maybe that's why Vince doesn't want it, doesn't want to get involved. Well, you know, they've been doing it down there, whatever, you know. That is his thing. I feel like if it goes on the road, maybe he gets more involved. Where we like said, this is just now. And one point one seven, and I don't know if you want to get yeah, we will. yet. But I mean, this is just now. He's probably like, oh, it's it's pretty good. But I think if they go on the road or they start losing the ratings, then he gets. He, I think he gets hands on. Not maybe not over the top, but. You know what, uh, you guys, uh, you know, son Kevin Owens over there. Uh. And the, the other thing we need to point out is it's going to be a pretty tough schedule, at least for Vince McMahon, to, if he wants to have his hands on Raw and on SmackDown. So Monday Raw, Friday SmackDown, uh, whatever schedule. And you're dealing with two different networks between Raw and SmackDown yeah. now, too. Yeah, whatever schedule he has to deal with while doing whatever it is he's going to be doing for the XFL. Um, and, and, and a Wednesday program that's going live every, uh, Wednesday on, on, in Florida. So it, it, can, can a human being be in more than one place at one time? No, so I don't know. Um, but let's talk about the, the viewership number, which was, again, 1,179,000. Um, I, I had a moment earlier this afternoon before the number dropped on Showbiz Daily at 4 p.m. Eastern. I was thinking, maybe, maybe it's, it's gonna be more like 
two million or something like that. And I was looking at, um, but I, obviously I was wrong. But uh, luckily I didn't go public with that uh, prediction. <laughs> but uh, I was looking at Google searches, and Google searches for NXT um, on Wednesday night exceeded Google searches for SmackDown on Tuesday night, which I thought was interesting. And and I'm sure we're going to see uh, going forward uh, a lot of that initial interest uh decline a little bit just because, oh, it's the first time, so there's going to be a surge of interest in learning about what's going on. I'm sure there's, I would expect um, the rating, the viewership number next week to be a little bit lower uh, for NXT next week than it was this week. And then we'll see what happens when they go head-to-head with AEW. We'll get into, uh, I'm going to make some really long-term predictions about, I guess, what I think is going to happen as this all plays out in this totally new era of, of wrestling that we're sitting in here on the, at the very cusp of uh where we're going to have for the first time in almost 20 years to, well, I guess there was that moment in 2010 where, where Impact was going to head to head with Raw, but we're going to, I think this is a, a different level and I think there's a, a, a more trustworthy opponent here. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a totally new era of wrestling. And so again, so the NXT uh, number, number four on cable on the night. So that's, that's pretty good. Um, I think it's interesting to look at the demographics here. Um, you look at the uh, the demographics for NXT, compare it to Raw or SmackDown. Raw or SmackDown's audience, while larger, uh, again, the, the Raw audience, if you took Monday's Raw and you average the three hours together, it's about double that uh, of the NXT audience. Um, so about twice the audience is still watching Raw for the moment. And uh, But you look at the demographics, and the demographics for Raw are quite a bit older than the de- demographics that we saw for NXT. Uh, and in, in, in this slew of information I've made you read today, Chris Gull, uh, you, you, I've given you a, a, a column graph where you can see the, the number of people, uh, or the, the, the P50 plus demographic is pretty big for Raw and SmackDown. In fact, it's their biggest demographic, I think. And, uh, but that, that graph, uh, that, that bar is quite a bit smaller for NXT and the, uh, the P14 to 49, I'm sorry, the P18 to 49, demographic, which is also often referred to as the key demo. It's a demographic that advertisers really care about. And they were the number two on Wednesday Night Programs list, and I'm actually, I pulled up Show Buzz uh, Dailies, because I was intrigued. Cool. Here's the funny thing, like, ratings-wise, they're fourth, but people who actually watched, they're third, but really right under Basketball Wives. Number one was American Horror Story, which I expected that. Yeah. Uh, that was debut episode. Um, but their American Horror Story is the highest eighteen to forty nine demographic, and then number two uh, is NXT. Yeah, and, and we talk like about rankings. Said, that's the big one there. Yeah, and we talk about rankings. We're talking about the ranking. Showbuzz Daily ranks them by eighteen to forty nine. That's the demographic that advertisers care about a lot. I think the philosophy is people over the age of fifty. Uh, they're they've already created all these brand loyalties, so it's harder to sell them new products. Whereas people who are younger, it's a little bit easier. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, is there anything else we want to say about this before we get into really big predictions here? Um, go any questions? I, I I think they should just be happy with the first night results. Um, mm-hmm. they it was a it was a good show, but they didn't do anything. Like I feel like they are saving surprises and and they're saving things. Like I, if I'm not mistaken, I think they are doing Riddle and Killian Dane. Or maybe they are, they already had the match there, but they're, they're, I think they're saving something probably for in a couple of weeks. The camera, yeah, no, that's a real and dealing Dane did work, but. So, so here we, here we sit. It is, it is September, uh, 
on, on in October, the first week of October, SmackDown's going to debut on Fox. SmackDown is being put over on NFL broadcasts right now. I I, I haven't the seen commercials kind of funny. I haven't seen it personally, or I, and I haven't seen personally this that apparently there's, N, there's NFL commentators who are putting over WWE right now during during Sunday games, talking about how they're yep. they're really excited about this, and apparently it sounds forced allegedly. And have you seen the commercial? No, Austin Flair Rock. Yeah. Michael Cole, who has not been officially announced as the voice there, most guys that aren't going to be weekly fixtures right. on their program. And this is all part of what's basically been promised, at least to investors, to me as, as somebody who's, who's following uh, the, the quarterly reports. Vince McMahon is putting over the fact that Fox is going to really promote WWE. They're really going to try to get that number up for Fox uh, on, on Fridays. Tougher night than Tuesday. You know, not as many people watch television on Friday as they do on Tuesday, but they're going to be on a big broadcast channel, Fox, something you can get over the, over the air. They're going to be in, in more homes. So, uh, uh, I think Meltzer has said 3 million would be the expectation for, for viewership. Uh, wow. That, and that's low for a cable. I mean, I'm, I'm a major broadcast network. And what, when, what's SmackDown doing right now? They're doing a little bit over 2 million on the USA network on Tuesday. Um, I'm really skeptical that SmackDown is going to, do three million? Maybe, maybe they do three million the first time out on uh on the first week of October, but I I don't see this uh I don't see the transition from USA Network to Fox being a huge boost. I think it'll be a single digit percent boost. Um, yeah, bigger homes, but still, I th- I think the people who are watching SmackDown are probably watching it. I don't I don't see a huge new audience being gathered from the fact that you're being talked about during NFL games or whatever promotion. Uh. Fox is giving you, um, <clears throat> Lex Express is out there. They've got, they're doing a bus tour of some sort. So another example of, uh, how much Fox is, Fox Sports is really getting invested in, in trying to promote SmackDown. Um, yeah. I, so we talk about that 1849 demographic. And that's why I like when I'm, I'm getting to come on here because, uh, TV ratings and all that. I'm always intrigued by it. Friday nights are very tough for that demographic. And, and, and really honestly, the biggest thing, of why it is, is mostly guys that age are going to want to go out on Friday nights or they're going to high school. Like the South, high school football on Friday nights in the South is giant. Like, don't think they realize how big that is. Um, and that's a good chunk of your, you like thing that, I mean, sure, I'm sure Fox on demand is going to probably get more subscriptions. I'll, I'll guarantee that. But, uh, and then, I mean, if you look, so they, and this is what they're going head to head. So they're doing, on their Friday, they're doing SmackDown. Uh, on NBC's Friday, they're doing The Blacklist and Dateline NBC. Mm-hmm. So programs that are very loyal audiences, but stuff that's not gonna, you know, blow the world up. Uh, ABC on Fridays is doing American Housewife, which is now a new name. New, they're trying to put sitcoms on there. Two that have not performed that well and fresh off the boat. And then, 2020 and uh, CBS on Friday nights they're doing Hawaii Five O and Magnum PI which are they've redone both those shows and they're both at new nights and then Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck 10 to 11. We march backwards into the future. Yes, we we view the present through a rearview mirror. CW Charmed and Dynasty. So they're going against a lot of reboots yeah. of but shows. That's, that's all pop culture I know, is these but, days, but, isn't but it? All, but but like. Friday is the slot where you just roll the dice. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but the problem is, is there's a lot of money in this dice roll. This isn't a sitcom or a drama series you can cancel after three weeks. An average annual value of $205 million for SmackDown. Like, you can't cancel it after three weeks. So, like, I'm intrigued if, like, if it doesn't work out, they, they put them on a different night, or they, or they just send them to FS1. I know it sounds crazy to think about, but, like, yeah. Yeah. broadcast networks are very impatient. Mm. Very impatient. Like, mm. Being someone that's watched a lot, it's like I've I've watched a lot of TV. The aspect of like, you know, I have a media background, and when shows get canceled and stuff like that, and every year I like look into who got canceled, and yeah, like in shows get cable networks get very some of the best TV shows ever only lasted a season or two, or not even a full season because play people get impatient. Broadcast networks, I should say, cable networks, streaming networks are different. So the 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 patience that Fox may have to uh to keep this on fox or to maybe throw it back on fs1 you know that might happen maybe yeah if if they have awful ratings on a friday night if they're getting beat out by they won't get beat out by the cw stuff but if they're getting beat out by american housewife and they're getting uh, you know because they're they're, what what they're putting in to have smackdown Mm -hmm. is more than to put on american housewife or abc or more to put on Hawaii Five O for for freaking CBS. Like, th- those are scripted programs that are less DVR proof than yes. live sports, which is kind yeah. of what WWE is. Yeah. And those are yeah, I mean, and those are programs that are kind of built to hey, hopefully we get the syndication and make some extra money. So, and like I said, I mean, and those aren't those network strongest programs, you know. Mm-hmm. So, entertain me in some radical thought about the future of the wrestling business. As we sit here at the, at the dawn of the, of the new TV season. Hey, let's do some, some Socratic, uh, method here. What's, what's the difference between NXT and main roster WWE? I think honestly in 2019, not much. I think other than maybe your few iconic guys like Randy Orton, Brock Lesnar, like mm-hmm. Seth Rollins, but everybody else you could say, you know what? He would fit right back in NXT. Like it would, it we it wouldn't weird you out to see Andrade back in NXT. It wouldn't weird you out to see like Cesaro back in NXT. I think there's we think about the wrestling business. You kind of kind of think about it in like in there's there's two things that are really key to making wrestling successful or happen, right? And these two things are content. I think Heyman said this somewhere: content and distribution. And what's the difference now? I mean, let's let's take you know a week ago. What was the difference between NXT and main roster WWE, certainly the distribution was different. NXT was airing on the WWE network, uh, for the, the, the less than 2 million subscribers that, that that network has. And Raw and SmackDown are in 90 million homes in the United States on the USA network. There's a huge difference in, in content, in my view. I think, uh, main roster WWE is, is pretty poor content. The wrestlers are talented, but, uh, the TV product itself, not that good. Um, the NXT product, pretty good. Um, got a lot of talented wrestlers there too. Younger wrestlers in most cases, uh, maybe less developed wrestlers in, in, in some cases, in a lot of cases. But, uh, I think what's uh, the, the difference in appearance certainly is that you're sitting there at full sale in front of 400 people or whatever, as opposed to being, uh, having the visual and the perception of being in an NBA, NHL size arena. That's worth something. Um, having the legacy behind you of, of people who have, who have gotten into the habit of watching Raw every Monday and watching SmackDown every whatever day that, that SmackDown's airing on. 
um, all the legacy that's uh, built up behind their brands like WrestleMania, uh, all the value that that has in, in the annual habit of building to that huge event. Um, the the uh, the ever increasingly frequent uh, return of various legends like The Undertaker and Steve Austin, which has happened recently on Raw and SmackDown. So, but I think just from uh, all that stuff aside, just from a content aspect, NXT content way better. Distribution now equal. Yeah, I mean it, it's equal to Raw. I mean SmackDown technically will be higher distribution. Mm-hmm. So, um, I can see maybe four different buckets. Four different different paths that we may travel down as we move onward into the future here that I'm going to go through that you don't know about. No, I do, I do not, and I'm very uh, interested to hear these, though. So, so scenario one we call the status quo case, uh, which is the case in which the pro wrestling hierarchy doesn't change. W business ventures remain viable and stable. And uh, the way I would see this case playing out uh, goes something like this. SmackDown viewership uh, improves moderately after it's moved to Fox. Viewership remains strong enough to stay on Fox, to keep, keep all those TV executives happy, doing well enough, whatever that means, whether that's 3 million viewers weekly, whatever it means. Uh, and although viewership may continue to decline uh, with Raw and SmackDown, Raw remains the number one show on, on the USA Network, uh, remains in the top three on Monday on cable. Uh, NXT and AEW, viewership, regardless of which one's going to lead the other, uh, each remain almost uh, always below that of Raw or SmackDown. So Raw and SmackDown still maintaining their their top spot as as the the leaders of this wrestling industry in NXT and AEW somewhere below that. Uh, NXT attendance because it's on the USA Network might grow moderately, but average attendance for NXT always stays somewhere below four thousand, uh, which is about what WWE main roster uh, shows are averaging, whether that's a house show or a TV. AEW may far into the future, a year or two from now, they, they roll out a live event strategy. AEW's average attendances also stay below 4,000 and always at least just below that of WA roster. And then let's say, I guess we're, I'm, I'm thinking out into like five years, four years from now, uh, 2023. By then, the Raw and SmackDown deals are coming closer to their end. WB is going to have to renegotiate new TV deals. And because they've been doing pretty well with Raw and SmackDown, they've managed to stay on Fox, haven't been booted to FS1, but doing well enough on the USA Network, despite being in this media landscape where maybe things overall on linear television are declining. Uh, they still rank number one in this scenario. But by 2023, then W has to you know, renegotiate new US TV deals, and it maintains its value, at least, by a rate of 1x. Maybe an increase, but, but they at least don't get a, a, a TV deal that's worth less than the enormous TV deal that they have right now, where they're making, I believe the numbers are uh, 205 million for SmackDown, 265 million for Raw on an average annual basis. So that status quo case, that's the boring case where nothing significantly changes. Raw and SmackDown lead the way. AEW and NXT are sort of these number two companies that are battling it out or whatever. But then we have a bull case for WWE overall, where things get even better for WWE. This is case number two. We're counting here. It's going to be four total, remember. Case number two, which is Raw and SmackDown remain strong. NXT is strengthened. And AEW doesn't do anything to damage WWE. Um, so what happens here is NXT consistently beats AEW for viewership. So NXT is winning 
the Wednesday Night War consistently. The Fox promotion that they gave to SmackDown actually works and helps grow WWE's audience for SmackDown on Friday nights. Then let's say by mid-2020, NXT does about 1.4 million viewers a little bit better. I wrote this a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a, little, a little bit better than they're doing right now. And, uh, which, 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 uh, in, in a declining media landscape, that sounds pretty good, I think. Uh, SmackDown consistently does just over 3 million viewers. And, uh, NXT increases its attendance as a result because it's on a better distribution platform. Uh, raw viewership in, improves, let's say, to 2.7 million viewers. Uh, the average main roster North American attendance rises to 5,400. We're up to like, uh, 2014 levels here. Um, and the tier WWE network is a success. Average paid subs rise above 1.8 million, million subscribers and exceed 2 million, breaking the record on WrestleMania day. This would be, uh, next year sometime in this, this scenario. Um, 2023 new, new TV deals. They get better TV deals than they had last time. Maybe a 2X market cap of WWE reaches $10 billion. Vince, they're at, I think, around 5 or $6 billion in, in market cap right now. Uh, Vince McMahon becomes even richer than he already is. Um, and then 2025, 2029, TV revenue accounts would account for about 60% of company revenue. I think they're about 30% right now. Um, so that's, that's scenario number two. Number three, the bull case for NXT. This is where NXT surpasses Raw and SmackDown in prominence. AEW is at best competitive with NXT, but no more than that. Um, actually, not no more than that. But anyway, we'll get into it. Two two additional hours of primetime W content uh, contributes to additional declines, actually, in Raw and SmackDown. So because you've got uh, a now a total of, what is this, three hours, two hours, two hours? That's like, what's three plus two plus two, Gullo? Three plus... This is a math podcast. You should know this. I'm testing you. It's uh, seven. Seven. Yeah. So seven. So you. So you've got um, even more content, and that kind of cannibalizes the content overall. Or at least cannibalizes Raw and SmackDown. So that that in in this case contributes to a further decline of Raw and SmackDown viewership. Uh, in in late 2019, NXT beats or is competitive uh, with AEW consistently for viewership. By uh, the middle of next year, to 2020. NXT viewership reaches 1.5 million. Man, I was right on here, wasn't I? Um, mid-2020, NXT attendance on national tour increases because they got greater content distribution. They're doing pretty well in viewership. And, and so they're like introducing themselves to a newer audience because they're on the USA Network. They're in, they have a way more total available market uh, than they did before. So they're, they're gaining fans. NXT is becoming more popular. Um, so due to NXT and, and maybe AEW becoming alternative products, uh, Raw and SmackDown starts to underperform more. By late next year, in some demographics, NXT starts to beat Raw and maybe SmackDown. Uh, by mid-2021, NXT viewership beats Raw and SmackDown. We've got more people watching. Again, this is all my, my, my fantasy scenarios here. NXT beats Raw and SmackDown. Uh, by mid-2021 as well, the average attendance for NXT on the national tour beats the main roster. The order... Has, has changed. So that's, is that number two? No, that's number, that, that number three. Okay. Yep. Thank God. So we just got one more. This is the bear case for, for WWE. This is where Raw and SmackDown fall from prominence. Vince McMahon's effort to turn around, uh, the Wednesday night war actually damages NXT and AEW surpasses, uh, WWE in major metrics. So in this scenario, two additional hours of primetime WWE content uh, contributes to the decline 
of Raw and SmackDown. That is the, the existence of NXT being on the USA Network contributes to the decline of, of Raw and SmackDown because there's more content out there for W viewers to, to try to watch. By the middle of next year, AEW uh, consistently beats NXT for viewership. By the end of next year, in an effort to help NXT because they're losing the battle, Vince McMahon takes greater control of the brand. But because Vince McMahon is Vince McMahon, he actually contributes to the decline of NXT. Uh, viewership further declines for NXT. Attendance for NXT shows suffers. Uh, in some younger demographics, AEW begins to beat Raw and SmackDown by late next year. Also, uh, AEW around this time, let's say, would roll out a live event strategy. Uh, in 2021, AEW viewership uh, becomes greater than 2 million and exceeds Raw and SmackDown viewership that start to fall below 2 million. Uh, SmackDown viewership, especially in young demographics, declines further. Viewership falls below 2 million. AEW uh, North American average attendance uh, in 2021 starts to beat W main roster average attendance. Uh, SmackDown is moved off of Fox and onto FS1. SmackDown viewership on FS1 falls below 1.5 million because now they're on a weaker station. That might be being generous. Um, and then in 2023, when it's time to renegotiate those TV deals, uh, WWE, their US TV deals are completed at a rate of maybe a half or a third of their current deals. And subsequently, the WWE market capital falls quite a bit. The stock price, that is, falls quite a bit. And then... In the scenario, in the great beyond 2025, WWE is sold off to a major media company like Disney or something. Um, so that, those are the, those are the cases. So, which of those four do you think is the most likely? I hate to say it, but status quo. Yeah, that, that is the safe bet. Um, while, while you were doing that, I wanted to, I'm just, the, the TV ratings, I'm just so curious on those. So real quick side note. So, I looked at the shows that Fox had last year in that time slot and how they performed. Last Man Standing, the Tim Allen show, highest rating over 8 million people. Lowest, 4.2. Uh, the show that followed it called The Cool Kids, uh, didn't perform as well. Highest, 6.8. Lowest, about 3.2. And then Hell's Kitchen, which was the 9 to 10 time slot, highest rating was 3.2. Mostly performed in the 2.1, 2.2 category. So I feel like if they do a three in the second hour, Fox is going to be happy because it's an improvement from last year, but they're going to have to put some really good numbers between eight and nine because you're talking a sitcom that only lasted one season that was absolutely awful called The Cool Kids. Mm-hmm. Lowest rating was a three, but highest 6.8, and they mostly did average in the fours and fives. Okay. You're talking about viewership, millions of viewers. Millions of viewers. So if Melters thinks three is a good number for him, I, I, I don't, I, looking at Fox executive may not think that. I got the impression that Meltzer was saying that based on something he was, he's told probably us. average. I'm not saying he's like, but I'm just saying for him right. saying that, I don't, that doesn't make Fox happy. Basically, if, if the show, they may move him to nine to like, see, they can't even cause of 10 o'clock news. They couldn't right. even do nine to 11. All right. Let, let's make some predictions here. Um, December 2019. What's the high? What's what's the wrestling program with the highest viewership? December Monday Night Raw. I know that sounds crazy, but I want to say SmackDown, but I'm thinking Monday Night Raw. I'll say uh, I'll say SmackDown. We'll revisit this. Remember, December 2019. Uh, December 2019. Which which program has the higher viewership? NXT or AEW? I think AEW. AEW. 
Um, okay. Let's go further down. I, th- I think by, uh, I think by 2021, I, I just can't see, I, I, I think there's something, there's a value in, in this legacy of Raw and SmackDown being these, you know, legacy programs. But I, I just can't see with alternative products out there, once people start to get to know what these brands are about and start to understand what they're about and they get to create stars on, on the level of having these distribution platforms that are as big as the USA Network and TNT, like, why would you continue to watch Raw or SmackDown other than out of habit? And, and how long does it take? Do you, do you, I guess there are just older people. And I guess that's sort of what I was laying out in that scenario is what, what, what you're going to see, what I believe you're going to see is the, the older audience sticks with Raw and SmackDown longer. The younger audience, uh, gets more and more depleted from Raw and SmackDown. The younger audience for NXT and AEW, uh, gain more ground. And, and by the way, th- those are, that's the audience, the younger audience that advertisers care about more. Um, so I think maybe within two years, and it could be wrong, we'll revisit this. We'll revisit this podcast in two years. Uh, I think we're going to see NXT maybe, maybe number two, AEW number one. Um, I see the biggest issue with NXT, uh, surpassing, and I can't really speak for AEW because they don't have, they, they have, they're one company, one show. But I can't see NXT surpassing Raw and SmackDown because once they start, Vince will just go, oh, well, we got to take that guy, put him on Raw. We got to take this yeah. guy on SmackDown. We're on the network. Oh, oh man, this Velveteen Dream, put him on Raw. Like, that's, that's what I think is going to happen. Right. Once they start getting hot, it's, they're, they're, they're going to get picked apart and then just bring the new group of guys. And I think they're going to consistently, I think they'll do well, but I think he'll just, you know, keep, you know, Moving guys over. Yeah. So. Cause Raw's his baby. At the end of the day, Raw's his baby. Yeah. And SmackDown's the biggest legit deal he ever got in his life. Like, as far as, as TV. So like. Well, maybe, okay, let me, let me, uh, let me see if I can compete with this idea. Maybe, maybe NXT, in a sense, is hurt by the fact that they're getting stars from, from NXT taken away from NXT to go to Raw or SmackDown. Isn't there all, wouldn't there also maybe be some trade off back from Raw or SmackDown to NXT to take some stars who, who aren't really doing anything on Raw or SmackDown to be the, you know? Okay. I see your point. And there was a time where ECW was kind of getting, not, not on the NXT level, but the ECW program on sci-fi was getting pretty like when Swagger was feuding with Goldust and Christian. And I was like, wow, these guys. And then the Swagger's on SmackDown. Christian's back on SmackDown. Like, and then it was, it literally was Kozlov versus Ezekiel Jackson. Like, like it, it once those, and that, that's right. I don't think they're going to replace the same type of caliber. So let's just say, for example, and I'm not trying to disregard anybody's talent, but let's say, for example, Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole are part of the success of why NXT is beating, they're beating AEW and they're almost beating Raw and SmackDown or whatever. And then Vince sees this and Vince wants Adam Cole on Raw and Velveteen on SmackDown. But then in return, he sends the B team. I don't think it's going to be lateral moves. It's not like he's going to be like, all right, we're going to put Velveteen Dream on SmackDown. You know what? Let's send Kofi over to NXT. I don't think that's what they do. You know? So, let, let me like fortify what I, what I was saying earlier because I realize what I'm saying is pretty out there to a lot of people. Um, so it's not just content, not just it's a it's a too blunt and too broad of a way to say it that that it's about the quality of the content. 
but that a lot, a lot of things in the wrestling industry have changed over time. And it takes a lot to adapt to wrestling to stay relevant, to stay economically relevant and successful. But the one thing that hasn't changed since, uh, since the beginning of wrestling time, since, since, uh, Gotch and Hackenschmidt, which is over my head right now, uh, literally I have a picture of Gotch and Hackenschmidt on my wall. Um, the thing that hasn't changed is that wrestling is about stars economically. It's, it's always been built around stars, whether that was Gotch and Hackenschmidt, whether that was Jim Londos, whether it was you know, Lou Thez or Buddy Rogers or Bruno San Martino or, um, Antonio Inoki or Giant Baba, um, or Hulk Hogan or Steve Austin, The Rock or John Cena. Wrestling has always been built around and then has experienced its booms because of stars. And if you've got a product that has distribution that towers above everybody else, but you've got no stars, you can last for a while. But if you don't have stars and others around you, or at least one around you on an off-brand of, of your own around you have now got an equal distribution platform, a very com- comparable distribution platform. You can't create stars. They can. I, I just don't see how you survive in that environment. And when I say survive, I'm not saying that W's going to go out of business. I mean, I'm just saying here's that, a variable. I'm just, I'm just talking about the popularity when, of the brands. You never know when Vince is going to die. Yeah. If Vince dies, the 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 idea is that Triple H takes over creative for both those programs. I mean, you're talking 2024, 2025. I hate to sound morbid, but. I in the back of my head, I'm like, is Vince going to be around? In Vince is going to live forever. <laughs> like, um, so, 2021. Uh, what's the most viewed wrestling program? I I I, I predict AEW. In 2021. Wow. I just I I just can't. I I think it's I think it's raw. I just think I. It just doesn't change. Okay. Status quo. Status quo for Chris Cullo. He doesn't want to be adventurous. I'm not. Hey, I'm not saying I, I. It'd be great if we're in a world where this company topples. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it's a different animal than it was in the '90s. You know, say what you want with the WWE product now, but people forget how bad it was in '94, '95. Chris Chris Cullo is standing in my living room like he's doing a stand-up comedy. Well, act. no, I'm just. I, I, I get very antsy. <laughs> oh, that's good. I get very um, antsy, you know. All right. Any, anything else to say? I think I, I think I've had my fill about uh, NXT. Anything else you want to add? Uh, to that? I, I, it's just an exciting time, like yeah, it, it is, it, you know. And I think we'll get into a little bit later about other wrestling programs, but you know, Mondays, Wednesdays, and the and uh, Fridays, as far as are pretty packed. And then you also got Beyond on Thursdays, like so. It's gonna be. Yes. You saw that little chart, that little live wrestling chart. That was pretty cool. Did you see the live wrestling graphic that was put out? The, the one that IWTV put out? Uh, was it IWTV that I put think out? So. Yeah. I think so. And it yeah. showed like Raw and NXT, yes. AW, Beyond, and, and, and Uncharted Territory. Yeah. Which I'll be. I, I, I think I'm appearing on. You're part of the wrestling wars. Well, <laughs> we got a smaller distribution platform, but yes. Um, all right. Chris Gullo, our newsman. Anthem. Right. Anthem has acquired access. Yeah, and I and the last time the, the last time I was on here, I was like, "Wow, they're going to try to buy the network, buy a network just to get their TV show on a bigger platform," and that is exactly what happened. Um, so uh, on September 9th, Anthem announced that it acquired a majority interest 
in HDNet. That is the parent company of Axis TV, a U.S. broadcaster for New Japan Pro Wrestling, where it currently airs on Saturday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, with WoW Women's Wrestling as New Japan's lead in at 8 o'clock. Anthem also required HDNet movies as part of the deal. According to the press release, uh, former owners Mark Cuban and AEG will continue to participate as equity partners, and joining as an investor is entertainer, producer, and businessman, Steve Harvey, who will also enter a strategic agreement for content development and promotion of Anthem's portfolio of channels. Steve, Steve Harvey, this is the Family Feud guy. This is Family Feud guy. This is the guy that messed up the Miss America pattern. Oh, did he? Yeah, he said the wrong thing. He's <laughs> also famous from gifts for you, for you younger listeners out there. Yes. Who don't watch linear TV. <laughs> um, but uh, Steve Harvey Global will have a seat on the board of directors of Anthem. So Steve Harvey's going to book Impact? So no, makes, I'm 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 being a jerk. No, yeah. I know you are, but you, you know how wrestling has been networking. Let's say a wrestler's friends have been friends with Steve Harvey for a while, and boom, he's he's, yeah. he's on Impact. Uh, Impact Wrestling will move from the Pursuit Channel to Access soon after the Bound for Glory pay per view on October 20th. And I heard reports that they're trying to even make that sooner, but mm-hmm. all the logistics. Um, the work the rap reported that 40 people were laid off at Axis within hours of the sale due to redundancies. Adam Swift, who did work as a legal counsel at Axis as Axis and executive producer for its new Japan pro wrestling show announced his termination on Twitter. Impact currently airs on Friday nights of pursuit with SmackDown moving to Friday. Impact may move to a different night when it starts on Axis. No announcement yet. And uh, multiple news re- sources report that new Japan's deal with Axis runs until january 2021 yeah so i did a little bit of research here to uh think about how many homes are uh each of these networks in that uh that impact has aired on over the years and of course they were on spike tv from 2005 to 2014 uh these are current numbers i know they were they, they were probably higher uh these numbers these number of homes that i'm going to go through they were probably higher at the time that, that impact was on them but just to give you some sense of an idea of, of uh the size of the channels and the uh, the prominence of the channels that uh, Impact has aired on over the years. 2005, 2014, they were on Spike, which is now called Paramount. Uh, 80 million homes. That's about as big as it gets these days. Uh, maybe, maybe USA Network, uh, almost 90 million. So that's that's maybe 90% coverage, I would say. Uh, 80 million homes. Then they moved to Destination America in 2015. 45 million homes. So that fell in half. Uh, then they were on Pop TV, 67 million homes from 2016 to 2018. Pop TV, more homes, but but known as uh, a, a channel that not that many people are watching. So uh, uh, more homes, but but still lower ranked. Um, Pursuit that they're currently on, 35 million homes. Uh, we can't even get uh, uh, reports on, on what the viewership is oftentimes for Pursuit because the audience is, is probably just so small. But access, 50 million homes. So Pop, as you, as you pointed out to me earlier, uh, Pop TV has a, a larger coverage than Access. Uh, but the narrative coming out of Impact and Anthem is, is that that's not the case, that this is, this is life changing for Impact. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I really wished them the best. I, I mean, this is a great time and I hope every wrestling company that's on television continues to grow. Uh, but, and, and if we, if we're going to start making comments about this, I've, I've said this time and time again. When the best time to go into a time slot is when there's already a built in audience and Tuesday freaking nights 
are going to be wide open. And if I am, and they own the network now, so if I'm Impact and I'm Anthem, I'm putting Impact Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 o'clock, and I'm buying commercial slots to air on SmackDown next week until, you know, until they move to Friday night. Say, hey, Impact, like Tuesday night wrestling yeah. still on Tuesdays. Impact on access. Well, that, that's what AEW wanted to do, but they yeah. weren't able to do it on TNT. They wanted to be on Tuesday night. Tuesday night Dynamite. They wanted to be on Tuesday nights because of that built-in audience, like you said, uh, that exists currently, uh, established by SmackDown, which is airing on Tuesday nights. So no, I, I, I agree. That, that's a good idea. And there's nobody else, uh, there's no other wrestling program on, on Tuesday. Nope. And, and, I mean, you look at the schedule, like, oh, what about Tuesdays? What do Tuesdays yeah. ever do? You, do? you definitely don't want to be on Saturday. And Saturday night is where, um, New Japan and, uh, Wow Women of Wrestling is airing. On access. I feel like they'll air like explosion with that, probably. Yeah. You know, throw that on for a third hour. Um, Sunday's a pretty bad night, and Sunday's gonna go against pay-per-views and whatnot. So, uh, and you, you don't wanna go against Uncharted Territory on Thursday. We'll blow you out of the water. So, uh, Tuesday. Tuesday would be the best night. I, I think Tuesday would be the best night. Yeah. Like, um, and, and, uh, ML, MLW's still on Fridays, aren't they? So, or they're on Saturday. No, I think they're on Saturdays now on BN Sports. Right. But, uh, but now, but Impact has it. Listen, the way Callus is talking into more is, is they have a chance to gain prevalence again. Well, this is it. It's, it's, it, a, it's a better network. It, yes. It's a better network. Tuesday nights, go for it. Yeah, I'm calling it here. If uh, they should do it, yeah. No, that, that, that's that sounds like a good night. Um, so now the parent of Impact Anthem owns the broadcaster, the U.S. broadcaster uh, for New Japan Pro Wrestling. What does that mean? Does that mean that Impact's gonna say, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta divorce with Ring of Honor, and you gotta be friends with us now"? I don't think it's that big of a deal. Where that my, my theory is, is it's almost it's just like a distribution deal. Yes, they do produce it a little bit differently, the American commentators and stuff like that. But for example, like let's just let's I'll, I'll bring up uh, ITV for example, right? ITV owned World of Sport. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but they wouldn't, if they say they carried New Japan Pro Wrestling for a syndicated show, they wouldn't have any power right. to tell them, you gotta start working with Rev Pro, and you gotta work yeah. with us. This isn't TV Asahi, they're Japanese broadcaster. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, um. Which they air on at like two in the morning or three. Yeah, or so I just, I don't, I think it's, it's just like a syndic, it's almost a syndicated program. It's not, but it is. I, I don't, I mean, I could tell you that I'd rather watch it like, oh, you know, let's watch on a streaming service or like New Japan World and stuff. Yeah. I don't watch New Japan on access. On access. I don't. I'm a Sling subscriber now, so I have ac- access to I'm access. I'm a Sling subscriber too. So, um, I mean, I, some once in a while I may, but, but a lot of that stuff's also dated too. It's not live. Yeah. So, so it's been more up to date lately than it was originally. But yeah. Um, so what's going to happen here? Um, I, I don't, I don't think New Japan's going to, forge a relationship with with impact um at least not in place of it they haven't with wow at least not in place of its if its relationship with ring of honor um if, if anything um we'll, we'll get to it but uh no i i i, I think new japan's got a contract through january 2021 uh when that contract is up maybe there's other suitors even out there for for new japan other than access uh so we'll see we'll see what happens with that um i i think new japan is is really not interested in working with Impact, even though it's under very different management now than it was when New Japan had its earlier relationship with then total nonstop action. Um, but no, I, I think, 
I think New Japan's got to know that Ring of Honor uh, is a, at least from live events uh, area of business, is Ring of Honor is, is for the moment doing better than uh, than Impact. Although Impact is running more events now than it was uh, the year before. So maybe that suggests something uh, in the neighborhood of, you know, maybe Impact is doing better in the live events aspect. Uh, than, than they would before. I would I would venture to guess so. I think that's um, their goal now. I think now that they are kind of out of TV purgatory. Yeah. I think now their goal is we want to grow to be at least larger in the Ring of Honor. I'm not saying that's a but like to get into at least that atmosphere. Yeah, but yeah, but, but somebody from from New Japan uh, like reached out to me and asked me for attendance numbers for Ring of Honor and Impact, and then and I and I gave them some information about that. So I so I think they were that was a while ago, and now I I, I think well maybe that's what they were up to there. They were trying to. to they maybe they knew something like this was coming. So, uh, but yeah, I I think they're they're really sour on, on the relationship with Impact and what happened with Okada and all that. So I, I don't see that happening. They missed you, Nakamura. They missed you, a few guys. Like so, so yeah, I I think. Uh, but it's interesting to see what happens going forward with the relationship with the Ring of Honor and whether the relationship with the Ring of Honor uh, continues to exist. I think once Wrestle Kingdom comes and. Uh, and they see whether or not they, they want to get Kenny Omega for that. And we'll see if, if there's some relationship that uh, gets established with uh, New Japan and AEW. I think there was a uh, a holdup in, in having any real flirtations between New Japan and AEW until the MSG show happened. Obviously, the MSG show has come and gone. And I think Wrestle Kingdom is the next uh, landmark on the horizon here for to see what happens, if anything is going to happen between AEW and New Japan. Um, and it looks like Impact is really focusing on their relationship with AAA. Uh, they basically partnered with them t- for the MSG show at the Hulu Theater, hmm. and uh, they're airing that this week on Access. Oh, okay. The the AAA show. That. So you could possibly see AAA get a U.S. deal on Anthem. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be something. Maybe. So rumors, unsubstantiated rumors from suppose I, I believe the source on this is is a is a Reddit user. Who is supposedly credible? Uh, who suggested that maybe uh, Anthem was trying to purchase Ring of Honor? Um, maybe, maybe. Um, I, I mean, I, if, if I were Sinclair, I, I think this would be a good time to get out of Ring of Honor. I don't know if Sinclair is so is 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 such in, is, understands exactly what's happening in the wrestling industry right now. I have no frame of reference to, to know that or not, but uh, I think they would look at, at like the attendance numbers and see that the MSG show is a huge success and maybe gives a, a lot of credit to Ring of Honor for that. And when in fact it was, I think New Japan that largely drew that crowd or, or maybe even the, the anticipation that there would be talent on that MSG show that was not actually on that MSG show because of, because of AEW happening. Um, but I, I got to think that there's, there's some business metrics for Ring of Honor, uh, uh, that, that have got to be visible to Sinclair that have declined uh, recently. Uh, if you take out the MSG show, attendance appears to have declined quite a bit. I can imagine uh, merchandise sales have probably declined with the absence of, of people like the Young Bucks and, uh, and and Cody. So, you know, and who, who knows what the, uh, maybe there's some pay-per-view buy uh, numbers well, that they yeah, look I mean, at too. I'm sure Honor Club's descriptions are steady, but probably Fight TV yeah, numbers probably down. Yeah, uh, but but really, do I expect this to happen? No, I don't expect this to happen. Uh, I, a sale of Ring of Honor to Anthem. Uh, no, I don't. Th- like, is Sinclair maybe thinking about it? Possibly, but I I don't like. I don't. First off, I just think it's a dumb move right away to do that. Like, you just get on a bigger network, grow your brand, and then maybe let Ring of Honor's value go down a little bit more, and as far as money wise, yeah. and then make a ploy. But yes. 
So, anything anything else to add to that impact going to uh, a- access? Uh, no, I I mean, like I said, I, I I mean, I'm I am happy for them, and I you know if if they can get on Tuesday nights and kind of create some of that magic from the mid to late two thousands. Tell me about AB five. All right. Let's talk about, let's talk California state politics. California state politics. Uh, well, California Governor Gavin Newsom signed AB5 into law on Wednesday. The law is aimed at app-based tech companies like Uber, Lyft, and DoorDash that allegedly misclassify independent contractors as employees. Some industries like real estate, commercial fishing, and cosmetology services have exemptions under the new law, which goes into effect on January 1st. Mm -hmm. Uber, though, they said they do not plan to reclassify their drivers as employees after the bill goes into effect. What does any of that have to do with pro wrestling, Chris Gullo? Well, because pro wrestler employees are classified as independent contractors, even though they cannot work for anybody else. As, as, my, as my former co-host Chris Carrington would, would point out, that, that is not that is not the issue necessarily. The issue is a number of other factors in which uh, the, the 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 business that employs you or contracts you uh, exudes control over the over the worker. It's it's about the control with with, with maybe um, exclusivity being one factor among many. And you can you don't qualify for benefits. Yes. So there's there's a Mookie that lives in my head and yells certain things like this at me. So, but yeah, um, so this could affect the 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 speculation is that this could affect WWE and uh, may, maybe AEW uh, that are going to want to run in California. Uh, obviously, WWE runs in California, I'm sure, multiple times every year, uh, whether it's Los Angeles or uh, other cities that they run. When I when I do my research, is, are escaping me, but they run a n- number of cities: Ontario, California, a number of cities in uh. San, Fresno, they do, uh, yeah. San Jose, San Francisco, all that. Stuff. Oh, yeah. San Jose is a big market for them, man. Yeah. So anyway, um, I, I actually tried to read this bill text and I got a few other things out of it in that, uh, there's other types of services that'll have exemptions like medical physicians, uh, surgeons, dentists, market, marketing, uh, workers, travel agents, human resources people, graphic designers, grant writists, fine artists. Accountants, maybe, sounded like some of this language referring to accountants, uh, photographers, freelance writers, freelance writers, uh, but no more than, uh, so if you're a freelance writer, you're not a freelance writer in California if you're producing more than 35 pieces of content. So to all, to all you wrestling writers out there, uh, so is this businesses based in, in California? I don't know. Or I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, yeah. Isn't technically the observer based in California? Yes. Yeah, so. Hmm. Interesting. So, uh, I, I don't know. Well, it, it might be an Alvarez thing, so maybe that's Washington State. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, and, and, and also built in exemptions in, in this bill, repo men. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, so yeah. So, so I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert. I know th- there have been people who have been, uh, uh, tweeting a little bit at the WrestleNomics account, uh, asking about this. So I'm uh, following the story. But uh, I would suggest that uh, you're listening to this podcast right now on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. There's another podcast within this network called Everything Elite, which is a, a podcast uh, dedicated to, to to news and events uh, for AEW. And uh, one, one of the hosts, um, Aaron Bentley, is a lawyer who's, I, I believe, very familiar with uh, labor issues. And uh, they had a good discussion uh, within about the first 20 minutes of their most recent episode. Uh, but they, they, they seem to know what they're talking about. And uh, they, they do seem to think this is going to affect... Uh, WB, possibly AEW, although AEW has more people who actually are considered employees because obviously they have Cody, the Bucks, Kenny, 
uh, and, and even Jericho, I believe, who are actually employees. They are not independent contractors. And like, I know like Remsburg, yes. and there's a few others that are also have office jobs as well. Yeah. So they, they, they were speculating that, well, maybe AEW could put on a show with a lot of their people who are employees and, and I don't know, and maybe use some other uh, genuine independent contractors. I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I don't, I don't have a ton to add to this. I don't want to get too speculative because this requires some legal expertise that I don't But have. I wonder if it could just get lobbyists as an exemption too. You know what I mean? Because yeah. uh, be, the WB's defense could be, well, we're not based in your state. We come to your state, I don't know, eight times a year. We're here for two days. We bring rabbit. They yeah. make what, it, what I'm hearing though is that that's not going to be enough. We're like an um, Uber employee works every day in that state. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it may not be enough, but but WB, their entire roster are independent contractors, except for one man. That is the game. That is the man who sat under the learning tree for 25 years. That's right. But Triple H, Triple H is, is an executive vice president of WB and an occasional wrestler. But yeah, all all the rest are independent contractors. Um, I did. Uh, did you read my article from I think April, uh, where I I uh, calculated about. I calculated aggressively how much money WWE uh, would lose, or how much w, how much money it would cost WWE to convert all of their independent contract contracted wrestlers, performers, to employee status. I did not. Shame on you, Chris Cullen. I'm sorry. Uh, the the answer is uh you know twenty eight million dollars. That's probably way too high, but less than twenty twenty eight million dollars, WWE could readily afford that, especially in light of their enormous TV deals that are about to go into effect. October 1st, W can absolutely afford to convert all of the wrestlers to employees. Uh, so. Yeah, maybe. And it's the thing, California, if they do it, New York probably follows. States are very similarly uh, built uh, legal-wise as far mm-hmm. as laws and everything. So, mm-hmm. Yep. So that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't, like, I, I'm not a legal expert by, by no means. Yep. So, uh, I can't really go into much detail as far as really what the, what can be done. But yeah, I mean, wrestling's changing with all this content and all these opportunities. And now it also may mean benefits and full time employee status. Yeah. Good time to be a wrestler. So let's run through some research I've been doing lately. This, this, this might be fast. We'll see. Uh, I've been doing some, uh, some research. This one, this category is called Wrestlers of the Decade. I also, uh, there's the Hall of Fame, Observer Hall of Fame. Do you know about the Observer Hall of yes. Fame? Okay. Yeah. Okay, oh, good. yeah. Okay. Very, very familiar. Did you know I'm a voter in the Observer Hall of Fame? You're what? A, a voter? voter? Yeah. So I got my ballot. I, I, did, I didn't vote last year, but I voted like the year prior. Um, so I, I might, I might vote. Uh, I know Voices of Wrestling is going to do some sort of, uh, maybe do some podcasts or some sort of coverage of, uh, of the Observer, uh, Hall of Fame candidates, but um, sort of related to that, uh, but not necessarily because of that, but I was doing some research uh, looking at, you know, we're coming up on the end of the decade. We're coming up in the end of the, the 2010s, or whatever this decade is called, the second decade of the, of the 21st century. And uh, you think of wrestlers of the decade, you think of the 80s, you think of certain wrestlers, you think of the 90s, you think of certain wrestlers, you think of the 2000s, you may think of certain wrestlers, and you think of this decade. Who, who should we think of as some of the top wrestlers of this decade? So this is what I've been doing, what I, what I did uh, on, on one night. This is what I do in my free time, Chris Cole. I go into cagematch.net, and I, I load up um, 
I, I looked at the cage match uh, has a voting system where you know people who log into cage match can vote for you know they can rate certain matches. So uh, you look at they have uh, these categorizations where you can look at the top 100 matches of, of each decade, except for the 80s, I guess, because there's fewer there. Uh, they only have a top 50. So they have a top 50 for the 80s, they have a top 100 for the 90s, for the 2000s, for the uh, 2010s. So using that data, I came up with uh, some lists of who are the wrestlers who had the most top matches, most highly rated matches for each decade. And I, and I think we get a pretty intuitive list of um, who are the top wrestlers that you think of when you think of like the decade of the 80s. Uh, number one for the 80s, you should, you should, you're looking at it. Rick Flair. Yeah, but no, that's yeah. good. So, yeah. so you get Rick Flair and Jumbo Saruta. Ricky Choshu. Over here and guess. Ricky Choshu. Tetsumi Fujinami for the 80s are the, are the top wrestlers there. Rick, uh, Rick Flair, by, by a, a fair margin, is number one. Then you go to the 90s. Did you, did you spoil yourself in the 90s I yet? didn't see so that. So who, who do you, who's the top wrestler of the 90s? I mean, in in my opinion, it'd be Stone Cold Steve Austin. And when I say top, I mean we're, I'm just talking like these are the, these are the ones who had the most matches that were the most highly rated. Oh, probably Shawn Michaels, Mitsuharu Masawa, of course. Oh, that's so, uh, Mitsuharu Masawa, Kenzo Kobashi, Toshiaki Kawada. Those are the, and, and Eric Kiritawe. Those are the top four, uh, followed by Bret Hart, Manami Toyota, Steve Williams, Junakiyama, Jumbo Saruta even gets in there. And they're even close to John Michael. So, in the decade of the 2000s, who did you think would be ranked number one? Oh, that's... Trying, oh, man, I'm trying to... Uh. In the year 2000 to 2009. 2000 to 2009. It's, it's going to be somebody from Japan. <laughs> it just seems like it. Uh, Quick guess. Kobashi? No. Uh, no. Well, he's up there. Brian Danielson. Oh! Brian Danielson's got 19 matches rated in the, in the top 100, followed by Samoa Joe with 10. Kenta, Edge, Triple H, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels actually rates higher in the 2000s than he does in the 90s. Wow. Yeah. That's weird. Maybe. If you think about it, I, th- I think because we were younger, I feel like we think of, you know, we're, we're almost the same age. But I, th- I think we think of the '90s as, as somehow lasting longer. You know, as you get older, time passes by more quickly. It it seems like a longer period. Yeah. yeah. So in, in, in a lot of, I mean, there's no. I'm not. You know, I, I know this is all about taste. We're just talking about match quality here. But like, in in a, in a lot of ways, I think his uh, his later run was longer, and uh, and there's more matches that are rated higher. He's got how many matches here in the top 100 for the 2000s? Eight. In the '90s, he's got five. You know. And I think that the the later era, the later decade, is more generous to match quality in that fans became more aware of match quality, and so wrestlers and promotions uh, made more room for match quality than they did in the 90s. Yeah, and you got the Taker matches. Yep, and you the, got the Flair match at WrestleMania. Yeah, so there's The, the Jericho right ladder match. Yeah, I, I think even him and like Triple H, the... Uh, there's a big last man standing yeah, match that's always standing. highly rated. I don't even know if that's in here, but I collected the data. I just copied and pasted it and sorted it, and it was it was it was delightful to do. But anyway, the 2010s, the current decade, we've only got about three months left of it. The top Okada, Okada, Okada. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're that sure about that, huh? It, yeah, is Omega in the top three too? Yes. Yeah. Who's who's number two? And this is all again. This is the, the taste of the, whoever's on cage match, I guess. But but I think this is a a consensus hardcore wrestling fan taste. Okada Omega is Danielson also on that list too? No, 
No, who is it? Doesn't touch it because he's he's in WWE for this entire time. Oh yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, I think he had like one match that 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 made the list for two thousand for the tens. So we got Okada, Tanahashi. And- oh, Tanahashi. Yeah, we got Okada with twenty four, Tanahashi with nineteen, Kenny Omega with sixteen, Kota Ibushi with thirteen, Big Tom Tomohiro Ishii with twelve, Tetsuya Naito, Shinsuke Nakamura, Will Osprey, Walt Walter. Sami Zayn slash El Generico, uh, Minoru Suzuki, Seth Rollins, AJ Styles, Shingo Takagi, Johnny Gargano, Kushida, Kyle O'Reilly, and then each of the Young Bucks. So, yeah. And then, what I did controversially is I uh, added everybody's numbers up. I only took the top 50 for, for each decade because the 80s only have a 50, the others have all 100. Okay, yeah. So I balanced that. So, so I just said, so let's count up the number of top 50 matches that you have. The number one wrestler for the last four decades. Who is it? Is it Masawa? He's number two. Flair. He's number three. <laughs> Okada? He's number four. <laughs> I'm missing number one. You're missing number one. Oh, who are the other number ones? Uh, you got one more guess, and I'm just going to start telling you it. Um, I'm trying to think of who the other number one was. Crap. Uh, the number one so far were Flair, Masawa, Danielson, Okada. Danielson. Uh, he's, he's way down there. Oh, like, really? Looks like number eight. So or the so. number one. Kenta Kobashi, number one with, he's got 26 matches that rank in the top 50 wow. across the decades. Uh, fo- followed narrowly by Masawa with 25. Then there's a big gap. Ric Flair with 15. That doesn't make sense. Michael's match isn't in there, I guess. All right. Um, Okada and Tanahashi, both with 13. Toshiaki Kawada, Kenny Omega, Brian Danielson, Akira Tawe, Jumbo Saruta, Kota Ibushi, Tomohiro Ishii, AJ Styles, Shawn Michaels, Jun Akiyama, Bret Hart, Ricky Choshu, Tetsuya Naito, and Kenta. So, so I, I find like there's no Benoit, there's no Guerrero, like they had amazing, you know, Mysterio, but not even touching that list. But it's whatever. Angle, it's, it's a matter of taste. Yeah. Uh, you know I mean? yeah. Um. So the observer uh, ballots are out. Uh, Kota Ibushi is on the ballot. Naito is on the ballot. Kenny Omega is on the ballot. Uh, I've, I've got a, a draft of an email uh, ready that I'm, that I'm gonna send eventually to, to to Meltzer about. I think it's just absurd that we that we vote for candidates who are the, the one of the qualifiers is you have to be 35. I think that number should be like 45. Yeah, because these guys. Are very active, all three of them. I think men. it's totally absurd. No, no other Hall of Fame uh, that I that I know of do they vote for consider candidates while they're in in such active primes of their careers. It'd be like voting for NFL players while they're while they're you know in the primes of their careers. I think it's ridiculous. But yeah, um, yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, spent a ton of time thinking about who I'm going to vote for in the past. That I think I voted for Danielson, who is now in. I think, um, yeah, I, I voted for only a very few number of people. I think I've voted for Junkyard Dog in the past, so I may vote for him again. But wasn't Danielson's year he went in? Wasn't it the year he was inactive anyways? Maybe. I yeah. think so. so any- and anyway, th- that that's that set of a research, uh, totally different research. I did a, I did a, an update of some research that I did a couple years ago. Uh, the WWE pay-per-view predictive model using Google search data to predict if there was no WWE network. You're going to pee. Okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll oh. take it. Oh. Uh, no, no, that's fine, because... So this predictive model where I use Google search data to predict if there was no WWE network, 
what would the pay-per-view buys be for for each W pay-per-view? Of course, like the, the way we think about WrestleNomics really changed uh, after February 2014, where we, we used to get pay-per-view buy numbers that Meltzer would report, or you would extract from WSEC filings and quarterly reports. But we don't do that anymore, Well, or at least we, we kind of get some numbers still that, that tell us, you know, what the pay-per-view buys were for various WWE shows, but they're obviously enormously cannibalized th- at this point by the existence of the WWE Network because obviously the, the pay-per-views are on the network. So, uh, some just some highlights from this. So, just why does this? Why is this even worth doing? Uh, because as it turns out, uh, Google searches are, are are a pretty good predictor for um, for how well a pay-per-view would do in terms of buys. So uh, to, to prove this point, or to at least to test that hypothesis, I took uh, weekly Google search data and matched it up to the pay-per-view buy data. And when you, you break these things out in, in terms of, like, you break out all the, all the mania pay-per-views and com- you know compare the searches on that week to the buys. And I broke out SummerSlam, and I broke out Royal Rumble, and I broke out Survivor Series, and I broke out B pay-per-views. And each one of those has a category. Uh, you get the average difference or I don't know how to explain this, but something like that. You get the average difference here, and you can make a prediction within, usually within a few percent of what the buys actually were. And you, I compared the predicted buys from the from the pre-network era to the actual buys, and and most of them are pretty close. To make a long story short, and so we look into this this post-network era and and look at well, what was the biggest WrestleMania? Let's let's try to make a prediction about what the biggest WrestleMania would be in the post-network era uh, if there had been no network, actually. And there had only been pay-per-view. What do you think the biggest uh, WrestleMania would be, uh, 2014 or later? It, it, uh, if there was no network, you already um, looked at this data and spoiled yourself, though. 2014 or later? Yeah, probably 14, because you—that was the year that you had. Oh, 2014, WrestleMania you, 30. Yeah, that's that's it's it, it's a it's 30. It's Lesnar and Undertaker. It's Daniel Bryan. Yeah, uh, according to this model. Uh, the biggest one would be WrestleMania 32. The uh, that's the Texas Stadium. That's in Dallas. 101,763. Actually, there were only like 80,000 paid there. But anyway, um, yeah, that that's the biggest one. So that would that even would beat out the the Trump Mania in 2007, which actually uh, got 1.25 million pay per view buys, would so break Trump's record. Oh, uh, I've I've got WrestleMania 31 coming pretty close. Uh, to that at 1.24 million. Um, u- under this model, uh, we get pay-per-view buys declining. Uh, in reality, pay-per-view buys did decline from 2008 onward to 2013, where there were annual pay-per-view uh, buys in total. In 2007, were 5 million. Then they started to decline down to about 4 million in 2009, 3.5 million in 2010, 2011. Uh, if this predictive model is reliable... We'd get up to 4 million buys in 2014, four and a half million buys 2015, over 5 million buys 2016, uh, 4.77 million buys in 2017. But then 2018, things declined to 3.5 million buys. And in, in this, this year so far, I'd be at 2 million. That's really not worth going into because we're only in a partial year. But what I get from this is that um, you get some evidence here that maybe pay-per-view really was uh, viable still. And it, it looks from the study that uh, if this model is reliable and continuing to predict pay-per-view buys, 
Um, the, the network looks like a really poorly executed decision in hindsight. As great as it is for the customer to only pay $10 a month and to get all the pay-per-views and to get all the other content and all the other library that comes with the network and to get NXT as part of that package and, and so forth, everything that's on it. Great for the customer. Um, but WWE could have made, I, I think, I think this, how reliable do I think this is? I think this is fairly reliable, although... Although I do want to see like this experiment, you know, bear some something worthwhile and something truthful. But it looks like um, W, of course, had to spend a lot of money to start this network up. So they ha- they all the money that they would have made from pay per view, uh, all the profits that they they would have made in 2014, they didn't make any profit in 2014. The the network slash pay per view segment in 2014 was in a negative. Um, so like what really happened here is they spent a ton of money to invest in this network. And, and in reality, I think if they would have continued to do pay-per-view, continued to put their pay-per-views exclusively on pay-per-view, and maybe rolled out the network in, uh, in a way that didn't cannibalize their pay-per-views in the way that they had, they would have, uh, they would have made more money. But luckily for WWE, they've, they're in an environment here where they get enormous TV rights, and they've become increasingly profitable and broken all their financial records regardless. So, under this model, I, I even went through all the financials, and I tried to predict, you know, what would would be pay-per-view results be today if, if they, I'm sorry, what would pay-per-view profits be today if there was no W network? Uh, is, is the network more profitable than pay-per-view would have been? It's making more revenue for sure yeah. because it's all in-house. They're not sharing revenue now with a pay-per-view provider. Uh, but it's not more profitable. What have I got here? I've, I've got the pay-per-view being, uh, more profitable in 2015 and 2016, and only in 2017 does the network become more profitable. But at this point, they put so much money and they've lost so many millions worth of profit. In, in this case, when I say profit, I mean OIBDA. Um, using numbers that I got from uh, W financial filings, where they use operating income before depreciation and amortization as their profit metric. Um, in 2018. Uh, all the numbers aren't aren't really available. So what I've got is you know 40 million in in predicted OIBDA versus 47 million in what I surmise was what they made in, in terms of profit from network plus pay per view. So 17 and 18, yes, the network would be more profitable than pay per view. But by then you've dumped so many profits into starting up this network that I do the math and see like at what point does the network actually start to become worth the opportunity cost. Uh, that they put into it by starting it when and in the way that they started it. And at least at the current rate, and this doesn't take into account that, yes, there's going to be a tiered network this year where they're going to get more money per subscriber out of their subscriber base. But when at the current rate would the network become worth it? Um, it would take all the way to 2025 before it would be wow. worth it. Um and again, this is all kind of based on, well, if this, if this predictive model is really reliable. And, uh, and, but that doesn't even take into consideration the cannibalization that the network caused to the digital pay-per-views, to the home, home video entertainment, video sales. But I think the biggest one of all, and the one that's a little bit, you know, harder to, to even predict or harder to see is the, the effect that the network launch, uh, timing where it coincided with uh, WWE's TV deals in 2014 being renegotiated. And by Vince McMahon's own admission, uh, which he admitted 
either in Variety or in, in a actually in a, in a conference call during a quarterly report, he admitted that the timing of the network being so close to TV rights negotiations uh, made for disappointing TV rights negotiations in 2014. I think they were they were drumming up maybe they would get a three x increase, um, and in fact I think they got like a one point five x increase. So this cost them many millions of dollars uh, to launch the network when they did it. Um, of course, they got a, a, a huge, great deal and a great increase in this current round that goes into effect October 1st. But it, it cost them, I've, I've not even begun to do the math, but it cost them tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to launch the network uh, when they did. It cost them a lot of TV rights revenue. Um, so yeah, uh, and in hindsight, W Network is great for customers, bad for WWE, but overall WWE is fine because they, they find themselves in this very beneficial media environment where live sports has become so valuable that it, that it, <laughs> that it makes their business almost impossible to, to destroy and almost impossible to, to, to kill. You know, they, I think WWE, um, has not created stars well. I think they've turned a lot of people off. I think they've lost a lot of customers, that is fans. They, at the same time, they've built a lot of business-to-business relationships that have become increasingly valuable. That is in terms of advertisers, and they've built a lot of business-to-business relationships uh, with TV broadcasters. Um, they've created really no new stars here, other than they try to make Roman Reigns. So, yeah. TV rights have, have made them an unbreakable business. And that sort of leads, leads us to another topic where I, where I looked at, uh, I standardized, uh, average attendance. I standardized the W Google searches. I standardized, uh, merchandise revenue and average network subs to a standard of 100. And there looks, it looks like there's this tipping point in about 2017 where, uh, the metrics that I just mentioned all start to downturn. And I think about like, I've been thinking sort of you know, vaguely, like what happened in 2017? Is there some events that happened in 2017? Is there some great change in 2017? Do you have any guesses? 2017. The push of Roman Reigns? No, that, that, that started years before that. <laughs> well, you know what happened in, in 2016 was, uh, at the very end of 2015, John Cena went down with a shoulder injury. Uh, he came back in 2016. He had 25 matches on house shows, 12 matches on TV. Of course, up to that point for, for years, starting in 2002, John Cena wrestled, uh, you know, almost every week on television. He wrestled in, in a lot of years, over a hundred house show matches. Uh, in 2017, John Cena wrestled, uh, 22 TV matches, 45 house shows. Last year, 2018, he wrestled 14 TV shows, 13 house shows. And so far this year, he's wrestled twice on TV, six times at a house show. And I think that's, um, I think there's a number of factors that caused WWE to find themselves in the situation that, that they're in. Uh, or I should say, there's a number of factors that account for the, and caused the, the downturn in 2017 that I found. And I think John Cena is one of them. I think he's maybe the, the biggest one that's affecting that. Uh, 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 I guess except for you could have created stars in his place and they haven't great stars in this place yeah it's our last big made star and yeah when he declines and i think it's sort of clever the way that like 
I don't know about you, but like I didn't even really think about that too much. Like it's it's clever the way they've just sort of slowly phased him out, so you don't think like oh, John Cena's gone. Well, I don't think of the year either where he was. You know what I mean? Because then like there was there was time where he, like him and Rusev in the mid card that was what like four or five years. I mean that was San Francisco WrestleMania. Yeah. So like you don't think yeah. it was only seventeen where he like really started to be around us? Yes. Linda McMahon. Uh, is uh, has made a number of political donations so far in 2019. This is tracked. Uh, you can look at this for yourself on fec.gov. Uh, her 2019 contributions so far total 1.5 million dollars. She has donated uh, 360 thousand dollars to the Trump Victory Pack. <laughs> she has donated one million dollars even to the America First Action Incorporated Pack, which is a super pack that she also listed as her employer uh, on that donation, uh, and she's donated a. Uh, Hundreds of thousands of dollars to other GOP-related causes. Uh, Vince, I looked up Vince. Vince has made no donations so far in 2016, uh, or so far in 2019. He's made no donations since 2016 when he, uh, most notably, he made some donations to the Marco Rubio campaigns. That's all I've got. Um, I do want you to read one thing, but first plug your... uh, Plug whatever you want to plug, Chris Gullo. Thanks uh, for joining me. I mean, yeah, you can just uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Chris Gullo. Um, you know, really, just right now, I've been uh, working really heavily with Empire State Wrestling and Squared Circle Project. Those are my two biggest focuses right now. So we just got done doing a over two and a half hour podcast for ESW. Yeah, so inside the Empire, check that out. Uh, I'm working on getting some cool wrestling and comedy stuff. Uh, uh, on the pike. I know we're doing like a potathon, which I'm also doing comedy at. Um, on October 13th, which would be very cool. So, okay. You can follow me at Brandon Thurston. Follow me at WrestleMomics. And come here, I want you to read. Tell me about. Okay. Tell, tell yeah, me about. I'm glad you're letting me do this. Tell me about the Houston Roughnecks. Well, the Houston Roughnecks. Uh, Resolute ripping with heat. Rippling. Rippling with heat. So, railing against fatigue. Unseizing and often unseen, they labor deep in the trenches. Mercenaries in the muck, brawlers in the black and dirt. Not just for three hours, not just when the lights are bright. These are the scratching, grinding, never bending few. The Houston Roughnecks going to work for you.